bigger than the other. That tastes awful. This won't hurt a Wait, bit. Why is it leaking? Did you Whoa, hear that? That, that was not there yesterday. Have a second of That's totally my natural hair color. Am I supposed to look like that? Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Deadly. I'm Terrell. And I'm Iris. Welcome to Health Science for the Rest of Us, a podcast where we take a super practical look at the body, its shenanigans, and the world of fascinating ways we try and keep it healthy. This definitely won't replace a trip to your doctor's office, but it may help you make heads or tails of how to live in your body better. More important than that, this podcast will help you look like a total badass at your next Facebook debate. You did it again. We can edit that later. Let's Let's do do this. Hi-yo! Free is taking a break right now, but that's okay because for this week's adventure, I went without her to explore the historic March for Science held right here in Columbus and in other communities worldwide to raise awareness about proposed changes in government policy and spending that could threaten incredibly important scientific work currently being supported through government agencies. The march was also meant to shine light on science denial and censorship, which can both be big problems when they're used as part of efforts to further the special interests of the few at everyone else's expense. This is especially true in areas like climate change, clean energy, and health. Now, by now, you may be thinking, March for science? But those people are making science political. Science is supposed to be neutral. This podcast is supposed to be neutral. I'm not going to listen to this. If you're thinking that... I totally feel where you're coming from, but please take your finger off that button and hear me out for just a second. It's not uncommon for people to say that science shouldn't be political. And if science is political, then it must be a bad thing because politicizing things is bad. But What exactly do we mean when we say something is political? Lots of times, when we describe something as political, what we really mean is that it causes unfriendly disagreement. And by that definition, sure, maybe science shouldn't be political. But when we consider what the word political 
actually means, using it to describe science paints a different picture because the term political is technically defined as anything related to government or government affairs. In that light, science already is political and has been for a really long time. Tons of the rules we have for maintaining quality and safety in our healthcare, education, environmental protection, agriculture, food, all come from laws created and enforced by our government. Even the research and development efforts that feed these fields are supported by government agencies, like the National Institutes of Health or the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. So yeah, science, health science included, is super political. And that's okay. There should be a working relationship between science and government because, after all, both institutions are supposed to exist in service of the public. The way we end up marching through the streets in lab coats on Facebook Live and doing podcasts about it is by certain parties dishonoring that service for their own gain or by their failure to embrace scientific evidence when making decisions that impact the rest of us. And that's what we probably mean when we accuse others of politicizing science, even though the word politicize actually means something else. So there's that. Anyway, if you're still with me, thank you. Now get ready for some audio abuse at its best because this one is a real doozy. In a minute, I will cut away to audio of my day at the March for Science, but I need to give you a quick heads up first. This was my first ever attempt at podcasting on location from a live event. So right away, you may notice more background noise than usual, or you may be able to tell when I adjust certain settings to correct for different surroundings I recorded in. I cleaned that up as best as I could. After that though, in my infinite wisdom, there were moments during the march where by mistake, I wasn't recording. And then I didn't realize it until hours later when I sat down to start mixing. As a result, I had to nix my original plan of sharing every word of every speech and every bit of every conversation I had with people I met at the march. Instead, what you will hear will be the highlights of the event and some of my favorite remarks shared by the guest speakers. And now to set the scene. The adventure begins as you hear me making my way to the Ohio State House and then taking time to read the scene, visiting the science teaching booths that were set up, and of course, enjoying some of the homemade banner signs that people were carrying. Every now and then during the recording, you'll hear me randomly reading them out loud sometimes mid-sentence. 
don't worry about that. After that, the speech giving starts. And then we march through the streets of downtown Columbus to the city's annual Earth Day celebration in the Columbus Commons. The biggest gap in the recording comes during the part of the day when we were actually marching, but you should still get the overall gist of things, minus 4,000 people crawling down the street. That being said, here we go. Okay, first of all, I am doing this science march thing all wrong. They told us that we should use green methods to show up to the march, like riding the bus. And I considered riding my bike, but I overslept this morning and my bikes, uh, the tires were flat. So I am doing the not green thing, or I'm doing the less green thing. I am currently driving to the science march. Part of the reason that I am driving to the science march instead of riding the bus or taking a bicycle like they recommended is because I overslept and I knew I wanted to stop at Angry Baker on the way to get a muffin. Then I couldn't figure out whether to wear my NASA shirt or my Wonder Woman shirt. And so I'm so late now that I'm actually not going to be able to get a muffin it, I'm not going to be able to get a muffin anyway. So this is interesting. You get to ride along down the street with me. The two miles to the Science March in Columbus, Ohio. 2017 Earth Day at the State House. I don't know if you can hear that or not, but if there's background noise, it's uh, probably my stick shift. Oh, look at that dog. We are in the middle of an Ohio fake spring day, which means technically it's spring, but it is like 42 degrees. Oh, we're up to 47 now. It's 47 degrees. And it's gray, there's no sun. So I also had to figure out which hat to wear and whether I wanted to put on a second pair of socks. So at this point, I have passed both the entrances to the parking garage, but I have 10 minutes to make it on time. So I think I am going to quit talking to myself and concentrate on getting a parking space. Okay, gonna start talking to myself again. Funny anecdote, already seeing people with signs that have sticks and poles on them, even though we were told not to do that because security takes those sticks and poles away. Okay, and we're back. Some pretty cool signs here. I'll try to read some of the signs. There is no planet B. There's one sign of a periodic table. It says, what's your favorite element? There's some kids with some signs that say, protect my future. And here's another sign that says, no science, no answers. Knowledge is not ignorance. Wait, I read that wrong. Science is not an opinion. Stop polluting our environment for your profit. Science for my grandkids' planet. Science is universal. Science is why we have a future. The core question of scientific thinking, what data would change my mind? 
Trump is One of so us is going to have to change. It's so, it's so anti-Trump. <laughs> it's so anti the whole Trump yeah. thing. Nothing yeah. will change their minds. Yeah. Nothing, nothing. They know the answer. I'm feeling like I need to change my mind about the shirt that I wore. I thought I'd be the only one with the NASA shirt, and here you are. I saw so. another one, too. Oh, I was this close to wearing a Wonder oh, Woman shirt. Here's, my, here's my NASA side. We get off the ground with science. We're going to high-five so that, that. So that goes with the NASA Yeah, side. yeah. You're <laughs> very cool. I like it. What's that one say? Cell upgrade science. That's clever. The best science ever. I was searching on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Hey, they're for something sometimes. Yeah. I do not feel obliged to believe that the same God who has endowed us with sense, reason, and intellect has intended for us to forego their use. Galileo. I like big brains and I cannot lie. Brew with science. Science, truth, reality is good policy. I care an awful lot. Reference to Dr. Seuss. Here's one that says science because you can't just make shit up and there's a poo on there. It's a picture of a, a smiling poo. Here's one that says what you do makes a difference and you have to decide what kind of difference you want to make. Jane Goodall. I love it. I think I'm gonna, I think it's getting started here. People coming to the podium. So before we go into our speaker lineup, I want to take a moment to thank each and every one of you for standing up, for being brave, and using your voice today. We know there are hundreds of places you could be on your Saturday morning, and you decided to join us today, and we're so humbled. This event literally was made possible because of you and your generous donations. Okay, okay, so let's get to the good stuff. Laura Sammons will be our MC for the rest of the rally. Trust me, you're in good hands. I am not a scientist. I'm a writer, and in my professional life, I have the opportunity to work with a lot of scientists and engineers and write about what they do. But that's not why I'm here this morning. We are here today to remind our elected officials and our friends and families that science is important and needs a place at the table when it comes to public policy. Science touches all our lives in thousands of ways every day and has made amazing things possible. I carry in my pocket a computer that's more powerful than anything that any government agency had. My grandson is alive today because of a life-saving surgery that he had that would not have been possible just 10 years ago. And for all the problems that Lake Erie still has today, it is a much cleaner lake that my young relatives swim in today than it was when I was swimming in it as a child in the 70s. None of these things happened without public support. The World Wide Web, that is one of the foundations of our economy today, started as a government program. Babies with rare heart conditions are not a large enough market to attract private investment. And the ROI from a cleaner Lake Erie is measured not in corporate profits, but in healthier communities, successful fishing trips, and happy memories. Much work that remains to be done, and it's not going to be done without robust public support of STEM education, science research, and science-based public policy. And that is what this march is about. The March for Science is built on five pillars. We believe that continued investment in scientific research is critical to build a stronger tomorrow. STEM education is one of the best investments that we can make in our future. Science is for all of us and needs to include all of us. 
that science must be part of the policy-making process at all levels of government, and that scientists and their work must never be silenced. University and complete, completed her residency at Yale New Haven Hospital 
and she's an associate professor of clinical medicine at Ohio State. She's also a member of several health policy committees at the local and state level, and she's a national leader in medical education. She strongly believes in improving health through science, education, and policy, and is passionate about health care that works for all individuals, including our most vulnerable populations. Today, she's going to be talking about how science saves lives. So please welcome Dr. Beth Liston. I'm here with the Community of Physicians and the Physicians Action Network. Um, we are wearing our white coats. They're not red, they're not blue. This isn't a partisan issue. This is simple truth and real fact. Science every day, and it is critical to the health of our patients and our communities. I had the opportunity to spend a couple of years researching cancer development. We thought that if we could really understand how cells get signals from the environment, we could target that and develop treatments and medications that only affected cancer cells and not increase effectiveness and decrease side effects. And this was a really exciting time in cancer research. We were using basic science principles in biology and chemistry to develop compounds and study them targeted to destroy cancer cells. But, you know, a couple years later, fast forward, I finished medical school and I was a resident doctor and I was taking care of a patient. I'll call her Mrs. S. Um, and she had come into the hospital because she was tired and she just didn't have the energy to do her normal daily. percent of kids with this disease would live for three years. Um, however, again, that targeted newer therapy really changed the prognosis. Using the same type of medication that Mrs. S had received, we could improve that to 80%. Now, 80% is a lot better than 30%. But it is still not 100%. We must support policies that enable scientists to do this life-saving research. There are millions of people in this country suffering from diseases that we know how to treat, that we know how to prevent. We must support policies that actually use the science that we already know. Access to affordable health care. are intertwined, that better education leads to healthier children. We know that it's really hard to learn if you're sick and you can't have access to health care. We know that childhood traumas, things like being exposed to violence or having food insecurity and financial uncertainty, these actually increase chronic illnesses in these children as they grow up. We know that poor air quality and pollution worsens asthma and lung disease. We know that water contaminated with lead decreases IQs and impairs brain development. We must take these important types of hard understandings and use them. We must help spread the knowledge that we have learned. We must teach children and young people to evaluate information. We must teach them to think deeply and rationally, to question, to hypothesize, to weigh evidence, and understand real facts. We must take these things that we know and work 
to create policy and keep our country healthy. As a doctor, I use science every day to help people. I expect my government to do the same. We have Michael Goldman, who's the conservation manager at the Grange Insurance Audubon Center. Um, he's a Cleveland native with a master's degree. Thank you. He loves fishing <laughs> and he loves the first He served in the Peace, Birds, uh, Peace Corps as a urban agriculture vol volunteer in Senegal. And he's also a singer-songwriter. He writes nature songs for children. Um, today, he is going to be telling us what birds tell us about the world and why science-based conservation is vital to protecting the places that birds and people need. Birds have been around for a long time. <laughs> They're modern-day dinosaurs. If you've ever looked closely at a great blue heron or egret hunting, their resemblance is uncanny. Uh, we have found archaeological evidence of birds from millions of years ago, and birds are the most common animal we see. So what can birds tell us about? In 2014, Audubon released its Birds and Climate Change Report, which modeled how different species prefer different climatic conditions like temperature and rainfall, um, and how they may shift in response to climate change. What birds tell us, they've been using birds as indicators for well over a hundred years. Canaries were used as detectors if there was a poisonous gas in the atmosphere of the mine. Miners knew when to stop digging because that poor canary would have died of carbon monoxide poisoning. Well, our science right now is telling us that birds are dying from poisons much worse than carbon monoxide, and we are the only ones who can save them. You are all what hope looks like to a bird. We all have the power to save birds, and by saving birds, we will be saving ourselves with them. Without planting native plants in our backyards, the birds will have less to live on. And if the birds die out, so will everything that depends on them, including us. This can tell us a lot about what is happening in our own backyards and across the hemisphere. If something were to happen to their habitat, on one side of their migratory journey, you can expect to feel the repercussions on the other side, too. So today, when we march, don't just march for science, march for everything that is affected by science. March for the birds, march for the birds, and march for the bees. March for the grasses and march for the trees. March for the mushrooms and march for the planets. March for fresh water and tasty pomegranates. March for things living or that stuff under logs. March for fresh air and for your dogs. March for science in all its forms. March because science is true, whether you believe it or not. from The Ohio State University. We're going to be introducing Dr. Mark Peoples. And he is from the Ohio State University College of Medicine, and he's also a principal investigator for the Center of Vaccines and Immunity at the Research Institute at Nationwide Children's Hospital. 
So this historic event was drawing attention to some very important roles that science plays in our lives. The truth is that science has been quietly marching on for decades, hundreds of years probably, by creating technologies, enhancing our food supply, protecting our environment, and eradicating diseases. But this, what I would call the march of science, greatly accelerated within the last century, particularly in the 1950s and the 1960s. And the reason was that that was a time when our government realized that a relatively small amount of funding for scientists and for universities would no, no, no. provide jet fuel no, I am. for our progress on so many fronts. But during my lifetime, in my field of infectious diseases, our progress has really been stunning. Take me, for example. I was infected by measles virus, by mumps virus, by rubella virus. As a kid, but kids born 10 years after me weren't. And that's because of vaccines. When polio vaccines were invented and, and approved, my family was, in, was immunized by both. So first the salt vaccine and then the Sabin vaccine. Why two? Because my parents wanted to make sure that none of us kids ever experienced what my dad had at 14 years old when he had poliomyelitis. All of us were protected, and again, 10 years later, essentially no kids in the United States were infected with polio. But by the time I finished college, smallpox had been eradicated from the face of the earth. And now children are protected from chickenpox, rotavirus, hepatitis B virus, yeah, we have, uh, from many bacterial more, diseases also uh, by vaccinations. The story of humanity's ability to conquer many infectious diseases is one of our true successes. So it's surprising that these achievements are now in danger of being ignored or lost. If we do not use these extremely effective and safe vaccines to keep our population protected, these diseases will creep back. And today we have new viruses, new problems, like Ebola and Zika. And we have the same old foes, HIV, influenza, and my favorite, respiratory syncytial virus. My colleagues and I are working diligently to develop effective vaccines to protect us against these viruses. And government support is essential. It's taking place at the CDC, it's taking place at NIH, it's taking place at Ohio State and universities all across the country. But recently, a 25% funding reduction has been proposed by the department for the Department of Health and Human Services, which includes CDC and NIH. I agree. 20% reduction would cripple research and testing efforts needed for the next vaccines. It would also cripple the research and testing efforts needed for the control of so many other diseases, cancer, diabetes, 
heart disease, Alzheimer's, and so on and so on. As a country, we are better than this. The belief that science can simply be ignored has been growing in strength in many communities. It's alarming. This trend threatens to erase hundreds of years of progress. Science has given us the luxury of health and prosperity. We can't afford to become complacent or cynical. Our historical scientific achievements stand as a testament to the benefits of investing in research. We must resist the urge to go back by continuing to march forward. March forward. About today is that intersection between scientific discovery and policies and government and the public. We know that data itself is apolitical. Scientific conclusions should also be apolitical. What we choose to do with those conclusions is not. That is a political decision. And so part of what we're talking about today is how we make those decisions based on scientific evidence. And that's what we're calling on our political leaders from both parties to use scientific evidence in making policy decisions. The March for Science is nonpartisan, and it always will be. But science cannot remain apolitical. We've reached out to members of both parties um, before this event. Um, and we continue to welcome the, that exchange. Senators Portman and Brown have um, expressed public support for continued funding of the Great Lakes Restoration Project. And today, we are happy to have a statement of that support from Senator Sherrod Brown. It's going to be read by um, Alan Short, uh, the Central Ohio Regional Representative for the Senator. So I have a, a letter here from the United States Senate. It says, Dear friends, please allow me to extend my support as you join together at the March for Science in Columbus, Ohio. Today, April 22nd, marks the 47th celebration of Earth Day, a day when we appreciate the natural beauty of our planet and reaffirm our commitment to protect it. Commend your efforts to fight for these issues as you participate in the March for Science. Your efforts to plant the seeds for a cleaner, more sustainable environment contribute to the betterment of the state of Ohio and the nation as a whole. Taking steps to protect our air and water is something that we must do every day, not just on Earth Day. Thank you for your leadership in participating in this event and your commitment to this cause. Sincerely, Senator Sherrod Brown, United States. Our last speaker today, we have from Council, Guys. Elizabeth Brown. She was in the City Council in November 2015 for her first term, which began in January of 2016. She is also the chair of the Economic Development, Environment, and Education um, Committees on City Council. Today, she is going to be talking about the impact of federal budget cuts um, here in Columbus. So, welcome to Council Member Elizabeth Brown. Here today because we are citizens of this planet. But we're also here because we're citizens of this state of Ohio that has so many precious resources that we have to protect. And so many precious people in our cities and towns that are impacted by policies that no longer take into account the value of science. So you're here for yourselves, but you're here for our state as well, and I want to thank you for that. 
As one of the dozens of policymakers who represent you, several dozens who represent each one of you, I, I, I want to talk about what do we need science for as policymakers? I never got great grades in science. I did okay in math, but science was always my worst subject. What do we need science for? The answer is we as policymakers need it for everything. Think about the advances that we've made as a culture, as a society, as a nation, as a globe in the last hundred years. What the scientists and dare I say the experts have given us, the experts. Round of applause for the experts. given us not just life-saving medical treatments, it has given us clean air laws, safe drinking water laws, vaccination, food safety laws, and it helps inform policy-making decisions at every level, even the local level. We're working on legislation now that science informs how to keep a, a more pollinator-friendly city. Center has been working with us on that, many, many constituents who may be here today. Yes, yes. Science helps us understand also how to combat our tragic infant mortality crisis. These ideas and, the, and, and public policy must be formed by experts who understand things that policymakers don't have a grasp of in the first place. So if we lose sight of the important foundation of science and, expert and, and the experts in what we do, the policies coming out of everything from City Hall to the White House will just simply not be as sound. So as a policymaker, I want to thank you for being here to fight for that place of, of science in our policymaking. We're here because we want to leave to our kids and allow them to leave to their kids a planet that does not forsake the science which gave us so much of that progress I talked about in the last hundred years. The next hundred years rely on that same partnership between government and policymakers and scientists and the experts. So you're truly here for the next generation. There are a lot more topics that we didn't get to today. We want to continue this conversation. We, we need to talk about the importance of STEM education, both at the K-12 level and at higher ed. There's a need to talk about a need for greater diversity within the sciences. And we need to talk more about the importance of public dialogue between scientists and the wider community. So today, I just want you to keep in mind that while today's march is the culmination of a lot of hard work by a lot of people, this is not an end, this is a beginning. It's the beginning of a continued conversation that we're gonna to continue to have. Over the next week, we're going to be sharing some information from National. So look on Facebook, on Twitter, and on our webpage. Um, they're organizing a week of action for science. Um, so look for those week for, of action items um, over the next seven days starting tomorrow. Also, um, don't forget to uh, text SCIENCE to 94253 um, on the sign up here. That will keep you in touch with the, the uh, movement as it moves forward. He just Which announced that an estimated 4,000 people showed up today. 4,000 is amazing.
people are still filing in. My name from is Chris. I'm one of the organizers. The march. There are large recycling flags around there in a tent. So people are going to recycle all of those signs for us. Keep it green, people. Uh, other than that, food trucks are setting up on the side. They will eventually be available for us. At one o'clock, the beer tent opens. Oh, snap. There is a fun striped tent at the back with stuff for kids. So if you brought little ones, please stick around. The march is just the beginning. Okay, gotta head back to the library cave. Study for chemistry exams and physical anthropology exams. We have finals next week. But I'm so glad I came to this and I definitely hope that if you have anything similar in your area, if you feel so moved that you participate. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Health Science for the rest of us. If you like what you heard, be a pal and spread the love by sharing this podcast with a friend. If you're not sure how or if your friend just needs some help, you can both get some quick tips from our fun YouTube tutorial. Just tap on the link in the show notes from this episode. To learn more about the show in general or to see some pretty hilarious health memes and videos, stop by our website at healthscienceforeveryone.com. We're also on Facebook in the group section and on Twitter under the name Health Science Podcast. That's all one word. For a limited time, Health Science for the rest of us listeners can save 20% on all NZT products at my online store by entering the promo code DARK42TOWERBEAMSUNSHINESTRAIN. No, no, no. I told you we're not doing that. My apologies. www.irisspecialtystoreforthingshumansbyclairhealth.com Iris! Sorry. I'm hitting the button now. Is that how my voice sounds? I'm back. You couldn't get rid of me that easily. It's Easter egg time. After Terrell stopped podcasting to go to the library, the official crowd estimate from the Columbus March for Science was released. Terrell and the organizers originally thought there were 4,000 of the humans at the march, but the updated estimate turned out to be 5,600 humans, which is no small heap of people working to make sure I still have a job when I'm not helping with the podcast. For more information about other March for Science events, or to learn more about the March for Science movement, or to learn more about how you can participate, visit marchforscience.com. Also check out a new video on our website, called, Why Science is Political. To see this new video, just go to healthscienceforeveryone.com and click on the tab that says, More, then click the tab that says, Internet Gold. Be sure to listen to the end of future episodes for other Easter XEGGZS.